Good morning, and welcome to Wanda's Picks. Happy New Year. And today I am going to rebroadcast a show that first aired in May 2011, and it was a tribute to mothers. And uh, I am feeling like honoring my mother this morning. And so I am going to rebroadcast that wonderful conversation with uh, several people um, that I really, really admire and uh, haven't uh, spoken to in a while. Um, And, uh, yeah, it was just so wonderful hearing their voices again, talking about their mama, their mothers, themselves. And, um, yeah, so anyway, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this. Thanks, Mama, for having me and for being such a wonderful, wonderful woman. Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and culture program of the African Sisters Media Network. Wanda'spicks.asmnetwork.org. Tune in Wednesday 6 to 7 a.m. and Fridays 8 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time. This is a black arts and culture site. We will be exploring the African diaspora via the writing, performance, both musical and theatrical, film and stage, as well as the visual arts of Africans in the diaspora and those influenced by these aesthetic forms of expression. I'm interested in the political and social ramifications of art on society, specifically movements supported by these artists and their forebearers. It is my claim that the artists are the true revolutionaries. Their work honest and filled with raw, unedited passion. They are true heroes. Ashe. So remember, visit us on Wednesdays 6 to 7 a.m. and Fridays 8 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on wandaspix.asmnnetwork.org. Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks. This morning um, on Mother's Day weekend, we are going to be joined by a variety of guests, or that's our intention, to talk about their mothers or their guardians and sort of lift them up uh, in memory and in praise. Um, You know, there's not always an opportunity to to do a shout-out to one's mother's. So we are going to be joined in the studio by these great women um, and men who are going to sort of remember their moms and uh, and also, in some cases, um, talk about themselves as mothers. And we're joined in the studio by Miss Ethel Murray. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. I'm so happy you could join us to talk about your mother and talk about yourself as a mother. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about your mom. Um, you mentioned to me um, when I spoke to you a few minutes ago that she's no longer with us. Well, yeah, I said that. Sort of May a misnomer, May. though. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a misnomer because, you know, a lot of folks, uh, when mom passes away, Physically, you feel that she's no longer with you, but at one time in life, you realize her teachings are now what you're living by and what you're talking by. So while I no longer have the that patch of dirt 
to claim my visit every year, I realize that she's in me. She is now what I teach to my children. My mom had, I have seven siblings, and um, as the second oldest, my mom taught me how to help her by taking care of her children while she worked. She was a day worker, and she worked in the cannery. So some ladies that uh, are listening that are of age may have known her. There was quite a group there. Her main thing of teaching was always tell the truth. The truth was something that, you know, man could trust you by. If you didn't tell the truth, you couldn't be trusted. And if there are any young people uh, listening today, always remember that. The truth is your passport. My name is uh, Ethel M. I'm a retired civil service worker. I, I, uh, after 30 years working for the Navy, you know, you'd wonder, you know, why on earth would my heart's desire be just to care for children? I think that was implanted in me as a young person. And when I got ready to retire, or when I retired, the thing that I wanted to do was care for children. So that's what I did. I established a group home, and I cared for girls and babies, which was the most enjoyable time in my life. Yeah, what's, what's your mother's name? Her, Victoria. Victoria Odin, she was a maker of things. In fact, my daughter has, uh, uh, who's a hairdresser, she has her products online right now. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Um, so how would one find those those products? I mean, how is well, she what's the website? She, Oh, uh, you know what? I'm not remembering the that titled name, mm-hmm. but it's under um, Kimberly Session. Okay. Kimberly Session. Okay, I'll see if I can find. She's well known in the Bay Area. Okay. Yeah. Oh, super. Oh, well, thank you. And and um. So you took care of how many children? Um, you said you were a foster parent. How many children did you take care of? And then you also had children biologically. So how many children have you yeah. reared? <laughs> I've uh, reared six. Mm-hmm. Six children. And uh, they're all great people, <laughs> wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I've, uh, after... After uh, retiring from the Navy and um, doing the group home run, I decided to look into education. And one of my professors is uh, Professor Sabir, our host today. She's, 
she's one of my he, my my sheroes. I'm trying to adapt her her ethics, poet poetry and busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Miss Ethel. Um, we're also joined by um, Robert King, and and we were joined by someone whose number I don't recognize. Um, who else has joined us to talk about their mom this morning? Um, your auntie Makula. Oh, super, super. So, um, so Robert, uh, why don't you tell us about about your mom, about your guardian? Oh, hi, Juan. How you doing? Uh, I'm good. How are you oh, this morning? I'm cool. Well, I really just called, you know, to listen in, and, and as I pointed out yesterday, you know, uh, I, I, I have some, you know, uh, some other commitments, but I, you know, you know, uh, what can I say, you know, uh, I can, you know, talking about <laughs> my mom, you know, uh, uh, the lady that raised me, was, she was actually my grandmother, you know, uh, she was, the um, only thing I could say, one is that she was great, but I tell you, um, while I thought she was great, then it wasn't until her departure, you know, she died in 58. I was about 14, 15 at the time. Um, and it wasn't until after her demise that I really missed her. So, I, I, I you know, all those have mothers and people who were, you know, acting like mothers to them, uh, I think they better appreciate them while, while they're here because, you know, once they're gone, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's you know, the the feeling, you know, and, the, you know, the, the gap in the, that exists, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty vast, pretty great, you know, you, the gulf is huge, and so, yeah, um, I think in terms of, of, of my, my mother, the person who raised me, I, I you know, I, I think in, I, I, I really think I feel that she's still alive, uh, you know, um, a lot of times. So, but and I do believe, uh, yeah, I, I, I actually believe that when I say alive, I don't mean you know physically. I, I think her substance is here, you know, and um, mm-hmm. I think I'll, I'll always, I'll always feel that. But uh, it's nothing like the physical, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, what, I what was your um? What was your mom, your mom's name? Oh, uh, her name, the lady that raised me was actually, again, my grandmother, but your I called her mom yeah. and she was mom. Her name was Alice King. Alice King, uh-huh. Yeah, her name was Alice King. And uh, she had subsequently had nine children of her own. Uh, well, uh, one one did not uh, make it, died in childbirth, I heard. But she had nine, she raised nine children of her own, plus she raised myself. Um, and uh, my older sister. Right. Yeah. And um, and where tell tell our audience, you know, sort of the circumstances under which you know you were raised. Like, where were you born and raised, and uh-huh. what was what was it like there? Um, you know, sort of, you know, when your your grandmother Alice. What was your <laughs> what's your mother? What's your biological mother's name? Your um, your well, grandmother. My biological daughter. mother' uh, uh, name was Clara Clara May Clara May King. Uh huh. Uh, she was the first born of my mother, and um, in any event, you know, she passed from my sister first, who was born about a year, 18 months or so uh, before me, or maybe two years or so, and 
And then I was born not, you know, long afterwards, and then she also passed me on to my, my grandmother, which was her mother. Um, she was living in New Orleans at the time, and uh, my grandmother was living in Gonzales, Louisiana. And so when I was born and when my sister was born, we both were taken to my grandmother, who subsequently, like I said, was responsible for for raising us. And uh, you must realize that, wow, this was uh, uh, when the, when my uh, grandmother, you know, accepted us. This was back uh, during the Depression, you know. Uh, this was part of the, the Depression when, when actually when she she was raised during that in that area. Uh, my mother came along sometime around, you know, when it hit. And by the time I came along, you know, being a post World War II baby and um, things weren't much better. In fact, things at the time had gotten worse, especially if you lived in the South and if uh, you was African-American. Mm-hmm. Um, and my grandmother, she, uh, my mother did not have an education, uh, never having went to school, uh, because during that time it wasn't encouraged anyway um, for black people to go to school uh, at that time. Um, and so she had no schooling. And um, and and so it was hard for it was pretty hard. And even if she would have had, uh, in retrospect, when you think about it, um, there weren't any, you know, especially during that time. Even if there was some some blacks who had, you know, was highly educated and highly skilled in in many things, but uh, there was a period when you was uh, last hired in forty five, and sometimes not hired at all. So uh, it it really uh, didn't matter. So those are the times in which I grew up in. And then, like I said, I was a post-World War II baby coming along right uh, at the end of the, the war, which ended in 41, and I came along right after that. Um, uh, again, like I said, things wasn't that much much better. And by this time, um, uh, my like I said, my grandmother, she moved from Gonzales and moved to New Orleans, Louisiana, and um, – it was in uh, New Orleans that I saw mostly my childhood, uh, and and this is where, like I said, my grandmother was here. Uh, my mother was here when she died. Died in '58. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so what 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 lessons uh, are you carrying, you know, from your grandmother, um, Alice King, uh, with you presently? What what wow, what lessons? Know. What values? I think I inherited all of her her, her value, you know, um, uh, and uh, plus my own because I'm my own entity. But I definitely, <laughs> but I definitely got a lot of of fortitude, inspiration. I got a lot of my grandmother was was really a, a nice, caring person, and I learned humility from from her. I learned a lot of things. I imagine I, I, I attribute nearly everything that I, I I subsequently learned in life. I I actually attributed uh, to to Mama, uh, um, yeah, because without her, it could not have happened. And when I say Mama, I'm speaking of you know not my biological mother, but Alice, you know. Well, thank you so much, and and I want to let our audience know that um, uh, that Robert King has a book uh, from the bottom of the heap, the autobiography of Robert Hillary King, and it's 
being re-released, um, and uh, is it is it is it going to be available this year? The um, uh, the reissue of the book on um, with with the um, with an update and as well as some um, additional um, chapters. Yes, uh, I'm told that sometime in September. But you know how that is with publishing companies, you know. Uh, but 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 I think the book was kind of good to this publishing company, so they want to hurry up and get it done. And pro- they probably will be on time. Right. Uh, with, and so, yeah, it's sometimes in, in September or uh, uh, October, you know, but it's going to be at the, the, the latter part of the year. Actually, I talked to my publisher, uh, editor this morning, you know, um, She's trying to, to, to get it to the publisher right now and to make sure that it's, um, you know, it's on time. Right, yeah. And and who's your publisher? It's PM Press. PM Press, right. And they're, yeah, they're, um, they're a Northern California press, right? Yeah, yeah, they're in Oakland, uh, Oakland, California, right. Ramsey. And, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's there in California now. Mm-hmm. Uh, PM Press was an offshoot from, I'm trying to, I was trying to think as you talk, of this other publisher, uh, publishing company that put out a lot of books uh, mm-hmm. uh, during the late 60s and early 70s and 80s and 90s, as a matter of fact. And, but they are an offshoot from this particular uh, uh, book that was, uh, or this publishing company that was well-known. And around they just opened up, you know, decided to just branch out a little bit. And, and that's what they have been doing. And they publish hundreds of books a year. Wanda, I think I lost you. Uh, no, no, you didn't lose me. Okay. Um, I um, this person um, who I had on, she just a second. <laughs> Keep on talking. <laughs> oh, I was finished. I, uh, I really was finished. Okay. I just heard about uh, it. Just a second. Um, let's see. Um, let's see if Miss Ethel wants to add anything. Um, Miss Ethel, do you want to add anything? I was hearing him talk about his grandmother. Those were the greatest people. I think I had the best grandmother in the whole world. Her name was Effie Edwards from Madeira. She's wonderful. And so many grandparents stepped in for the children. And, you know, just a wonderful thing, grandparents. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Well, well, thank you so much, um, Robert, I wanted to let everyone okay. know that um, there's a really nice section in his book on his um, on his grandmother or mama, and and his his uh, uncles and aunts who are his brothers and sisters, and uh, really paints a portrait of of America that we don't read about or know about that often. So, um, congratulations on on you know you're having a, a new edition coming out very soon, um, you know the end of this year, and we'll have you on again to talk about that, and. Um, and happy well, birthday! Did you have a birthday this month? <laughs> King. What was yes, the name of this book? Oh, the name of the book is from the uh, bottom of the heap. Bottom of the heap. Yeah, from the bottom of the heap, and um, the autobiography of, of Robert. Yeah, the autobiography King. of Robert. Of uh, Black Panther, Robert Hillary King, right? Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we're looking for you to write your book, Miss Ethel. <laughs> so PM Press, uh, yeah, open. we got we to gotta, we gotta, like, do like some kind of book proposal. So we got to oh, hook really? you up. Yeah, because you've got a fantastic yeah. story. But, um, King, I know you have to go, and um, so, but you can stay in the studio if you like. But we've been joined by another another um, wonderful woman, um, uh, Sister Makula Godwin, who's going to do a shout-out to her mom. Yes, uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning to uh, all. Um, and uh, my shout-out uh, first uh, to you, uh, dear little sister Wanda, because you are awesome. You're a brilliant woman, Isn't and you're she? willing to share your talents uh, for the betterment and the um, enhancement not only of your uh, wonderful family, uh, to, to whom you are an inspiration, but to us in general mm-hmm. by being this media personality and this teacher uh, of of literature and culture. Uh, my shout out also is to my mother, Mrs. Willie Mae Carter, who is now ninety. Wow. Uh, uh, <laughs> a widow. Um, she has um, her challenges and challenges that we need to become aware of that will be facing more of our people with aging. Uh, unfortunately, she's a, a victim of uh, a dementia, a vascular dementia, uh, caused by another illness. But back in the day, my mom uh, was such a vibrant person. She has talents that I'll never have in the kitchen. Uh, mom had the, the sweet potato pies that no one else could has ever been able to do to, to duplicate. Uh, she was so much into being a mother. Uh, she she welcomed um, both the birth of myself as the oldest of her children and my brother, uh, who's a, a, a very dedicated uh, practicing physician here in the Bay Area, uh, Dr. Brazel Carter. Um, and when we got into um, college age, she had a, a serious um, empty nest syndrome. So she went to... Um, the um, um, at that time, um, let's see, forty plus years ago, um, all of the um, the black foster children uh, were um, uh, wards of the um, juvenile hall up here um, in uh, San Francisco. So she went to get herself at least one daughter um, to raise uh, as a foster mother, and came out with three. Uh, children to raise uh, and she raised them uh, until they were teenagers and at that time they decided to go back to their birth family but um, you know it was just so important to her to be a mother and to have children around and to uh, struggle with all of their changes and be encouraging um, to them so that they could become productive people and I feel that um the fact that um, she wound up with myself and my brother, and we both strive to um, have a community consciousness and um, and to get into helping professions was a direct result of the caring that my mother had uh, to us and for us. And, uh, for instance, my brother, she insisted that my brother go to Lowell. He was hanging out with his hoodlum friends, and they were about to get into some problems, and she said, um, son, nope, you got to cut it out. I want you to go to Lowell uh, so that you can get the best education available here in San Francisco 
and that was such an inspiration to to turn him around that he did succeed um and um and did um wind up going to Meharry uh, and um and heeding his mother's advice. My dad was of course very important as well, but I think uh, uh, the primary influence um came from you know um having my mother's foresight in his life and uh, you know she's also uh, encouraged me uh way, well before chinese culture took such a hold here in san francisco she was getting up uh three times a week to make sure i got to the chinese cultural and language uh club that we had at Belvoir High School at that time. And she was so proud. She was so proud that um, she um, helped me. Well, she um, made it possible for me to have piano lessons. Um, and she worked as a, as a maid outside of the home and then at UC. But she always put being a mother and making sure that um, the, two, uh, the two of us um, had what we needed to become uh, productive citizens. Um, and as I mentioned, some of her skills and talents I'll never have. Her, her, her home-making skills in, uh, with her, um, her artistry in the kitchen and her, um, her um, ability to uh, crochet. She, she crocheted and knit, and those are things that I never mastered at all. Um, I do have my own style of cooking, because um, um, at that time, Mom would, I think she actually wanted me not to uh, have some of the homemaking skills because she wanted me to concentrate on academics more. So I've had to, I basically learned most of my cooking outside of my mother's um, uh, teaching and supervision. But, you know, there was motivation, and I always look back at her as the person who really knew how to throw down. And um, she was actually more of a mother to my my son than I was. Uh, and I have uh, the, the one son who um, actually uh, um, had his his grandmother's influence uh, while I was in school and um, in the in his early years. And um, she was a person who gave unconditional love. Uh, and she still would if she was able to, uh, but she is at this time um, struggling at, at this phase of her life with the severe dementia. Uh, but everyone in um, the family, uh, she's the oldest of nine children, and uh, neighbors and the church members, they all still remember back in the day when mom was such a viable, um, important person. Uh, and such an example of motherhood for so many, uh, as I've mentioned, both in the, in, uh, the immediate family and in the community. And she's known at her church as Mother Carter at this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, and, and I also want to mention to our audience that um, Sister Makula Godwin is a, is a wonderful um, – she wrote created this wonderful film. What's the name of your film that you um, – a, a Jewel in History, the Story of Homer G. Phillips Hospital for Colored. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. which is looking at, you know, the legacy of, of the black hospitals that um, were 
most of them were closed because of of the impact of integration on 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 the black community. Um, yes. Yeah, it's a really wonderful film. Is, is it available? Can people get it? Uh, yes, uh, people can get it. I have a distributor, uh, a friend and sister, uh, Deborah Day of Ashe by the Bay. Yeah. Uh, you can go on her uh, her website and order it. I am almost it's almost out of print because I have um, there was uh, two primary editions of the film, uh, a 53-minute version and a 90-minute version. Some people prefer the 90-minute version, and those are the uh, the ones I still have available. But at this time, I need to get more copies of the 53-minute version, so I'm jealously uh, guarding my master copy so I can uh, take some time to um, um, get more uh, uh, duplications of the 53-minute uh, version but they will be available in the near future. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, Susan Makula is um, one of the members of the MAPA uh, Commemoration Committee and has uh, been a real supporter of, um, of various various um, endeavors and efforts on the part of um, Lest We Forget, and which hosts the MAPA Commemoration every year and the series of events during MAPA Commemoration Month uh, when we do things like, you know, um, you know, send send um, inflatable beds and uh, pumps and things like that to Haiti um, oh. to help the women and and mothers, uh, particularly those that have suffered violence, not just the violence of of um, of man, but you know the unsettling uh, experience of of uh, earthquakes. And then now we have the period where there's like a lot of rainstorms and and the international response has been great, but the money hasn't reached the people. So Sister Makula is actually reached in her own pockets and, and, and bought, you know, beds and sent, I think you sent 100, right, to Haiti? I sent 50. 50, okay, right, right, yeah. And so anyway, whenever I call on her to help with some some of my humanitarian um, projects, she's always right there. <laughs> and again, that that comes from the, uh, the influence of my parents, both my mother and my father, and the compassion that um, that they instilled in us as as children uh, that we want to help. You know, they were very active through the church, but um, I see the the church as just an extension, or well, the community as an extension of the compassion that should be in our churches uh, to to help others. And um, you know, life is a learning experience, and we uh and and if our parents have given us at an early age the potential and the capacity to care for others, we should continue with that throughout our own lives mm-hmm. Certainly. absolutely yeah, so we're joined in the studio um by by Ina, um Sharif, who has another name um <laughs> and Vaina is a healer um you know trained formally uh as an RN, but now she's doing, um, you know, deeper healing work uh, through uh, the Asara Set community. And so, Maina, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, so I want you to do a shout-out to your mom, you know, tell us her name and and talk about, you know, your work. And you can also talk about some of our, our other um, mother energy and deities, like, you know, um, through the uh, uh, the Kemet, Kemetic tradition that, that you are um 
you know, a uh, practitioner in. Um, glad to be here, Wanda. Thank you for uh, asking me. And first, definitely wanted to shout out to my mother, Gertrude Jackson, uh, who turned 91 May 2nd. Oh, wow. Um, her, she, yeah, and she was a registered nurse for 30-plus years. In fact, she was the first black RN in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got into that health and healing, you know, seeing all the um, healing that she did, you know, in her lifetime and still is doing. And uh, she's still vibrant and cooking and just doing all these things. 91, but she took care of six of us. Her and my dad are still married. They've been married for like 67 years. And, you know, have just been those examples for us, you know, to to work in the community, uh, showing that love and that care that is just awesome to to be in that family and to extended family. And, you know, it just radiates out into the community. So that was very important. And um, right now with the star set, uh, we have a queen mother here, Ma'ata Reed, and actually tomorrow we're celebrating her birthday. We're, we're doing a fundraiser for lymphedema, and it's going to be at Fresh Choice Restaurant at Dayfair from 11 to 9 p.m. Um, there's coupons that you can get online, and when you bring it in, um, Fresh Choice will give 15%. Uh, of that ticket toward the lymphedema fund. Her son, Robert, has lymphedema, and, you know, we have been uh, involved with uh, the Lymphedema Society and uh, doing work with, with them as well. And so that's tomorrow from 11 to 9. They honor the, the uh, coupon all day, and it's so important, but, you know, we wanted to celebrate her Earth Day and do a fundraiser as well, so that's very key. And... In our work, too, with the star set, we do have Victor uh, Samarico, some people know him as Marcus Gary, who does the uh, Qigong workshop, and that will, should be starting up again in June, so we'll keep you abreast of when that will be. And Sunday, May 20th, we've been doing um, the Osirian Egyptian uh, initiation methods, and we will be having the Osirian raw initiation we will be focusing on Heteru and Tehuti, which will be uh, Sunday, May 20th. The time starts at 12 p.m. to 1 p.m., and the location is 2128 East 29th Street in Oakland, and that's there by the uh, Highland Hospital. And if you need any other information, uh, my number is 510 Nine five four three, or you can call Shikam Samri Kau. His number is five one zero two five three eight one two zero. And um, okay, so Baina, since you've um, you gave us all these commercials, um, <laughs> tell us about <laughs> tell us about you know some of the other the mother energy you mentioned. Um, Oshun, because everyone saw the great moon, and you mentioned, um, and then people think about Yemen Yah, um, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, as being, you know, 
you know, wonderful, you know, mother deity. And I wonder if you could talk about that to our audience, particularly that might not be familiar with, um, you know, African spirituality and African tradition. Mm-hmm. Well, Hedaru, uh, which also she's known in Yoruba as Oshun, mm-hmm. uh, is the deity, or the actually the, um, not the deity, but the Netaru. And her energy is that moist energy. And through her energy, you deal with visualization, images, and mantras, words of power. She works in the imagination. And with images, this is how people can make changes in their lives. Images have the power to arouse and channel the the life force so that you'll be able to transcend unwanted thoughts and emotions. And when you do meditation, uh, when you go within the meditation, you know, those images are very important because then you have to look at what images do you hold on to every day. And, you know, people say, I don't want to do this again. I don't want this to happen. But what happens, people hold those images in their in their mind, and so they keep getting what they keep you know, seen in their in their mind. And Hedaru is also over relationships. She deals with love, peace, and harmony. She uh, knows how to kind of go within maybe a group and kind of bring out those different aspects of different people and bring harmony to the situation. Um, and she's related to the planet Venus. And you know, there's so many things, you know, as females, too. Um, one of the queen mothers in New York has also um, a dance that's called the hetero healing dance. And many women, if they, you know, do this dance every day, it's, you know, working with their, the female organs and doing certain movements, a lot of them have um, healed certain female um you know, some have fibroids, some were trying to get pregnant, uh, just a lot of different array of different female problems, but doing the hetero healing dance has brought um, some wonderful <laughs> results for a lot of women. And she actually had a video where people were interviewed and kind of related um, what type of healing had taken place through doing that hetero healing dance. So hetero is uh, in fact, today is her day. Her colors are yellow and green or pink and yellow if you're single and purple and green for healing. Her number's five, and uh, she loves all the sweetness. <laughs> <laughs> she loves sweetness, the flowers, uh, lakes and rivers are her so her mode of water. Smile, smiling is one of her characteristics, you know, is just keep smiling and to generate that joy because enjoy and joy is key to healing and is very important not to get down but to keep that constant joy in your life is such a powerful healing tool. I wanted to give that part of Hedaru. And in her her picture, you see her smelling the rose, and so that rose is just, you know, uh, 
taking time out in the day, you know, to smell the roses, to, you know, give thanks, to, um, you know, smile at people. It's just amazing sometimes you see people and just that one little smile will brighten their day and and it lifts their spirit. And that's, that's key for us, you know, because that's another way of just sharing with someone something so simple as a smile every day and, and, and share that joy that you have. And our people, we need this in our lives, and it's so key. And as mothers and sisters and all, you know, I just want to keep that joy flowing, keep it flowing, and um, show the love, (laughs) (laughs) that Oshun Heteru love. Oh, cool. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Ambaina. And thank you so much, Sister Makula. And I want to thank Robert King and... um, and Miss Ethel Murray for um, hopefully our first annual shout out to mothers, the Black Mother in particular, on on the Mother's Day weekend, and and Happy Mother's Day to both of you too as well. Well, thank you. Happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you. Yes, happy, very happy Mother's Day to you. <laughs> and enjoy you your weekend. Much. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Are you okay. taking care? All right, Peace you too. Thank you. Peace and blessings. Peace and blessings. Uh, and here is my mother, <laughs> uh, Mrs. Helen LaSeer. Good morning, Mama. How are you doing? God bless you, darling. Peace and blessings. How are you doing? Oh. I'm fine. You're on the air. And, yeah, so while you catch your breath um, and, uh, and think about Grandmother Josephine Isaac, um, who I didn't get a chance to meet because she passed when you were 12. Uh, I want to do a shout-out to you, my my dear mother. Um, I want to thank you so much for the life that you gave me, um, gosh, almost 54 years ago now. <laughs> Not quite 54, but almost. And uh, and all of the, the great lessons you, you, you taught me, which, you know, hopefully that I've shared with my two daughters. Uh, one is, you know, your generosity. Um, I remember you always, you know, giving giving gifts, you know, preparing gifts for less fortunate people. Um, you know, I remember your, you know, making pralines on Sunday morning, early in the morning. The house would smell so yummy, and uh, and then um, you you know wrap them up the pralines, the candy in uh in wax paper, and we put it in a basket and we take it to church, and uh, and I remember you um, you know, sort of always you know sort of collecting our you know, clothing that we didn't need anymore out, out, had outgrown and, you know, giving it, donating it to, um, you know, some charity. And even now, you know, you you go out and visit the sick and the shut-in and you know, always have a good word for others, you know, I mean, always helping other people, um, which I think is really wonderful. And, and I uh, really admire the way that uh, even though, you know, my, my father and you, you know, uh, your ex-husband, um, weren't able to uh, to live together, you know, as his husband and wife, you know, you still um, sort of lent a hand to him and tried to help him, you know, in his final days, you know, as he was battling um, renal failure and, and dialysis and glaucoma and all those things. You know, when you come to town to visit us, you visit him and, you know, give him a good word. And I think that's really, really uh really kind and forgiving of you, um, you know, considering, you know, some of the history that you all had that, you know, you could have been bitter, you could have been angry, 
you could have, you know, um, held a grudge, but you didn't. You sort of released all that, and I'm sure that helped him um, heal within himself, you know, from the things that he did that he couldn't undo, you know, um, you know, to you personally and also within the relationship. And uh, and and then I admire, you know, sort of, you know, how, you know, now, you know, you're raising a grandchild as your child, <laughs> which, you know, now you could be relaxing and kicking back and, you know, you're doing the parenting thing all over again. I mean, seriously, I mean, you take Edwin to the library, you take him to his um, estuarian classes, I mean, you take him camping, I mean, you know, you're just like right there and, and he's not an old child. He's got you got like a lot more years to go before he's grown, like for real. <laughs> and and yet, you know, you're you know, you're right there, you know, with, with uh elder Lassier, your husband, you know, helping him raise raise, you know, his grandchild, um, you know, biological grandchild. So anyway, yeah, so I can go on and on, but now that I've given you a breath, you can do a shout out to your mom <laughs> and to and to oh, your big yeah. sister who who you know also was like your your guardian and he raised you when your mother passed. Oh. Well, I just give God the glory and the praise, and I thank you for my diamond, which is Wanda Bernice Oliver uh, Savia. She's my diamond. Always has been. She was my doll. Um, just a childhood mother, but I thank God for her and uh, for living to see this day where my children, my daughter, can honor me, and I'm so humbled by it because it's a mother's dream. And I thank you this morning. I thank her, thank God for her being a wonderful mother to her two children and um, and grandmother to Brianna. And uh, I'm thankful for. Her generosity, because she has so much love, and she always sparkles like the diamond she is. And I love you too, my darling, and I'm so happy to be your mother. Thanks, Mom. Mm -hmm. So tell me about Grandmother. Oh, Lord have mercy, Mr. Thor. I didn't know too much about my mother. Um, She passed when I was uh, 13, and... um, a lot of my memory of my mother has been blocked out in my memory of her. I can only remember a lot of things about her through my baby sister, Theo Gale, who tells me about her, and also my other sister, Henrietta, Minister Henrietta Green. But I remember your uh, father's grandmother, uh, Rosetta. Oh, yeah. I remember her, and uh, she was always such a sweet person, always had a beautiful smile like your daddy. She had a beautiful smile, and uh, she was the usher at at the church, her church, and she always would greet you with a smile, and she taught me how to iron your your daddy's pants and how to cook things because I didn't have my mother to to school me in those things and all my sisters. They were in different places. And so I remember... uh, uh, I always call, you know, Mama Rosetta, mm-hmm. and I remember her life and and being around her, and she was always such a sweet person, and I thank God that uh, our paths crossed. And um, you're very much like her, very much like your uh, your grandmother, Rosetta, very much so. And I'm thankful for the, her place in my life. Mm-hmm. And for all the other mothers, this morning in the grocery line, there was a mother that, a uh, grandmother that couldn't pay her 
grocery bill this morning. She was counting a little penny, and her bill was only eighteen dollars. And I was bagging my groceries. I said, oh, let me take care of it. She said, you will? I said, of course. Of course. And so she put a little change back in her purse, and I paid the money for her because it was only $18. What is $18 to gladden the heart of a mother? And uh, so I was just so so blessed to be able to bless someone else this morning because that's my daily prayer. How can I glorify you, O God? in my life by blessing someone else. That's what it's all about, giving of yourself, loving each other. Don't wait for one day. Do it every day. You give flowers every day. It doesn't have to be garden flowers, but words. My daughter is a great communicator. Uh, She's, uh, what, an English professor? (laughs) Oh, Lord. So I'm always kind of watching my and cues and dot my eyes because I feel, you know, uh, you know, my educated daughter, you know, she's like, oh, mama, you know, her grammar and this and that, but she's never corrected, never in her life corrected me. She's never said anything. When she gets angry with me, she said, mama, I got to go. But she never dishonors me in no way. And I'm so thankful to have such a wonderful daughter. And I give God the praise. Now I'm finished. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, thank you, mama. Um, well, thank you so much um, for joining us because you really didn't have any notice. I just called you on the phone and you were in the grocery store and you said, let me get to my car. <laughs> so I'm happy that, you know, because I meant to call you yesterday and, and, and uh, invite you, but um, I'm, I'm glad it worked out for us. So um, do you have anything special planned this weekend? Um, I know you always go visit other people. Do you have any special plans today for Mother's Day weekend? Well, uh, uh, I'm going to, uh, there's one of my uh, uh, church mothers, sister, she's similar in age to me, but she's in a convalescent home, and yesterday I went shopping for her to get her some clothes to go to a home going on Tuesday of her sister, and uh, so I'm going to go Sunday morning to the convalescent home and dress, help her to dress, and also Mother's Day. And uh, shopped for her all day yesterday and bought her some beautiful things. And uh, so then I'll be going over there at 8 o'clock Sunday morning to dress her to go to church and ride on the church bus with her and see her back to the convalescent home. And also on Tuesday morning, I'll be going over to dress, help her to dress for the uh, home going of her sister. So it's, it's a joy to be retired and out of the stress and be in the slow lane to where I can work full-time for God because this is my passion. Many people have passion, some for cooking, some for writing. My daughter's a great speaker. Uh, she loves to read, prolific reader. Uh, but today at 69, my passion is doing the will of God. And when I do that, I am so happy. And I'm so at peace, and I thank God for that. Yeah. Well, I'm happy that you are happy, Mama, and doing your passion. And uh, do you want to do a shout-out to Auntie Teeny? Oh, my. All right. To my big sister, who, uh, Andine Pizarro from uh, Marrero, Louisiana. She took the place of a mother for many years for her brothers and sisters, her siblings. And she never had any children of her own, but she took us, and she raised us to the best of her ability. And I love her dearly. She's no longer here, but uh, her spirit lives on and her, the memories of what she's done in her lifetime for us. I'm so grateful. 
So I praise God for my sister, my big sister, Andine Pizarro, for the life she lived and for the love she gave to us. Super. Well, thank you, Mama, uh, for joining us, and, and we certainly praise the Creator for your your presence. You know, um, you know me. You know, for you being in my life, I think you've been a great mother, and uh, and you know, and I think you've blessed a whole lot of other lives, like that woman this morning whose grocery you purchased. <laughs> right, you take good care, Mama. <laughs> All right, doll. I'm gonna get you later. <laughs> Okay, baby. All right, peace and blessings. Love to all your listeners. Bye-bye now. Peace and blessings. Peace and blessings. Well, that's my mother, Helen Lassier, Helen Isaac Lassier. We're going to play a song from Sweet Honey and the Rock called Hope. They were in town this past weekend. It was so wonderful um, at the Ellerbach Auditorium, and the cow performances gave us uh, 20 tickets, and we were able to invite women who were recently released from prison after 27 years, and that was Wanda Brown and other women who had been incarcerated for a long, long period of time. Most of them uh, released through the California Habeas Project, which is a project that looks at um, sort of challenging uh, the harsh sentences that have been um, uh, levered at women who um, are incarcerated because of spousal abuse. And so uh, more and more women are coming home. But Wanda Brown was the first woman coming home out of the San Francisco County, um, uh, San Francisco County. So hopefully her case will set a precedence for others that are um, up for review uh, coming out of California, coming out of uh, San Francisco County. So um, so anyway, uh, here is Hope, Sweet Honey in the Rock. If we want hope to survive in this world today, then every day we've got to pray on, pray on. If we want hope to survive in this world today, then every day we've got to pray on. If we want hope to survive in this world today, then every day we've got to pray on, pray on. Every day we've got to sing on. 
Honey and the Rock, and that song is called Hope. And uh, it's just such a blessing that I got a copy of this. Uh, it's Sweet Honey and the Rock, their 25th anniversary uh, CD. And they were just so fabulous on, on Sunday, and they were just singing these great songs. It was as if they knew we were in the audience, you know, those of us from California Coalition for Women Prisoners, and All of Us Are None, and Free Battered Women, and see what other organization is there. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and and um, and and so the songs they were singing just really spoke to, you know, some of the issues and some of the the challenges that, you know, some of the women and including myself had been, you know, trying to deal with, and it was just really, really great. And so uh, my masseuse, she uh, she bought this CD because uh, she was one of the guests. And just so happens that she uh, was also the masseuse for um, for Ida McRae, a really wonderful woman who um, was incarcerated for her political beliefs. And she works for the San Francisco uh, County Sheriff's Department, you know, works with the women there and uh, doing a lot of work um, with sort of helping children stay in contact with their, their incarcerated parents uh, through um, Families with a Future, a nonprofit that she started before she was working for the sheriff's department with the women. And so anyway, um, uh, Piet uh, gave me this CD um, on Monday, and I'm like, oh, this is so good. And it's like, oh, it's got that song on it. Ooh, and it's got that other, this other song on it. It's like, oh, my goodness. So um, so anyway, we're hoping that Majida Rahman is going to call us shortly um, because I have another interview um, with a uh, director of this great film that I am just, just enjoying, that I enjoyed so much that you're going to really love. It's called Payback, and uh, it's opening in theaters here in Northern California, uh, San Francisco Bay Area, in San Francisco at Landmark's Lumiere Theater, and uh, in Berkeley at the uh, Shattuck Cinemas. Um, and it's based on uh, a book by best-selling uh, author Margaret Atwood, and so it's really great. It's called Payback, and it looks at debt, but doesn't look at debt just insofar as um, as money or wealth, but looking at you know sort of like the debt that we might have you know within our souls, and how some debt you actually can't pay off. So you really should be careful of the things you do, <laughs> and and the and the and, and sort of the trades you make because sometimes. You know, some things are irreversible. You can you can ask for forgiveness, but you can't fix things. You know, we think about BP and the oil spill. You can't fix that. You know, all those 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 lives, those lives that were lost. You know, the visible and the invisible, and the lives that are being lost, the visible and the invisible, as a result of that spill. That it's going to reverberate in that region of this planet um, for years and years and years. You know, decades, centuries. Um, you know, ways that we can't even imagine. Um, so anyway, we're going to be talking to the director of that film, and I'm waiting for Majita to call, but she has not called in, and my mother seems to still be in the studio. <laughs> Let's see if Mama's still there. Are you still there, Mama? Yeah. Oh, you're listening. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to play another song. I want to play another song. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for waiting for Majita to call, but I don't think she's gonna make it. We got two minutes, so I'm gonna play part of a song while we wait for our next guest. So keep on listening, Mama. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you back in the uh, green room and play another song. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right. Alrighty, let's see. Um, let's see. That was Hope, and this other one is long. We're not gonna be able to play all of it, but I think it's really cool. 
and it's um it's uh forever love and uh that's also sweet honey and the rock maybe i should play greed because <laughs> that goes right into um sort of what we're going to be talking about with this next um next next guest let's look at greed <laughs> i've been thinking about how to talk about Exactly what I mean. You don't really want to 
you know, you you take something to the pawn shop and it's only redeemed when you are when you pay for it, when you pay back for it. And uh, I mean, the the stories in the film were I was really trying to find real embedded stories of people living with situations of debt that would open up the um, very rich but very abstract ideas in the book. So none of the stories in the film are actually in the book, per se. They're interpretations of different kind of debt. So there is, you know, the, the workers in the tomato fields and the coalition of Immokalee workers are... Um, the the brilliant uh, farmer I mean wor- farm worker led organization that represents them and I don't think many of us spend too much time thinking about where the tomato in our salad or the tomato on our hamburger comes from uh, but once you get a glimpse into that world you you can't you can't keep yourself from making that connection you are connected to that person and the fact that there were you know, real documented and prosecuted cases of slavery um, uh, in the United States in in the past 10 years um, uh, with farm worker and migrant workers is shocking. But it 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 also shows the debt that we owe um, to the people who 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 make our food. Right, yeah, and then that hearing um, is that with Senator Ted Kennedy. Um, yeah, you know, where and Eric Schlosser. Yeah, that's that's like wow, and that's this is 2008, you know. Um, yeah, and, that, that, you know, it, it's extraordinary. I mean, we're talking about four years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, very recently, and so you know, um, uh, you know, just sort of the way you know where you know you 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 um the film you know sort of opens with you know this this vista you know, of these mountains and then and then we get to this view that's in Albania, uh in northern Albania <laughs> and then and then you and then, so you tell this story, you know, of that family and what happened so that this family the one there's like a feud and one family cannot go out of their house because if they do they will get shot by the other family. Um and and then the different different views of that reality, like the interpretation of what really happened, you know, that made this feud happen, and and they have such differing recollections of this. Well, issue. that that was quite frankly part of the I mean part of the reason that we wanted to tell the story of these uh-huh. two families. I mean, when I said that there are different stories, the the the. <laughs> Coalition of Immokalee story is very much about you know financial debt. We 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 live in a system that is a you know um, a uh, for better for worse a capitalist economic system, and there's always somebody at the bottom of that system. What does it look like? Well, this is what it looks like. Um, Those people are at the bottom of this system, and we all assent to it because we all live in it. So this is what the bottom that we 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 are um, responsible for. In the case of Albania, we're talking about moral debt, where this I, this concept of vengeance, uh, revenge, where you you the debt will not be paid unless blood is spilled. Um, of course, is something that we you know maybe don't don't uh, we're not too familiar with here. Um, and certainly in the cities of the south in Albania, Tirana, for example, it's it's as you know sophisticated, just like any other European city. But when you go into the mountains of the north, the geographic isolation creates these um, 
systems where people take justice into their own hands. And these two families had a dispute about land. Um, one of them said one thing, one said the other, and they ended up in this locked in this feud that has now been going on for, you know, uh, over 10 years with one family being trapped inside their house. And I was kind of, I mean, it's a tragic story, mostly for the children who are in the family that is trapped. They're desperately poor. Um, but also because I still don't know who's telling the truth in that story. And you can see how a, a situation like that would become intractable very quickly, um, where, you know, it, this he said, she, I said, you said, I said kind of situation, and how people get locked into these positions that they can't move from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's because of honor and shame. Because yeah. if, you know, the farmer who's, um, land this this uh, neighbor was um, imp- in, um, you know sort of coming on to you know like with his fence you know if he assaulted the the woman you know who was out you know tending the crops then he would be ridiculed by society because he said that in in their community men do not assault women oh yeah and, it would be a terrible shame um, right uh, for him yeah yeah um, so he he could never admit to that. That he, I know. that he pushed her and that she had to go to the hospital and have emergency surgery to stop the bleeding. So it's like, hmm, okay, so something happened at the hospital. There's records. So, but well, I we know, but then you ask the question of <laughs> even if, but then you ask the question of if you're having a fight with somebody, you know, about land, is it fair to take out a, a gun and shoot them? You know, and yeah, and that's a, yeah. that, so then it kind of gives you the other side. And I think, you know, I don't, I think we all have this capacity inside us, the capacity for, for um, you know, revenge. Yeah, but then when he when when he says that he brought out an automatic rifle, and I'm like, oh, that's so overkill. Yeah, automatic well, exactly. rifle. What's he doing with an automatic rifle? <laughs> I know. I mean, there there may have been another way of settling the dispute, but that, of course, I mean, it, when we when we think about these, I think we all get into kind of feuds like this where oh I'm not talking to that person anymore and this is just kind of perhaps a an extension of what happens when that's taken to an extreme and that's the extreme there's oh, also yeah. a story in the in the film about uh, a, a prisoner Paul yeah, Mohammed that's really beautiful oh my god oh he's such a I mean Paul is is uh, uh will be released from jail soon and I've actually oh, he went just back? he went back Oh my goodness! I, thought, I didn't know because I know he he would talk about how, you know, one day, one time he was out, he went back the same day. But I thought he was not. I thought he had come to some terms around this. No, no, when he was oh. he was in um, he was in jail when we interviewed him. Oh wow! So that that yeah, and, was a, in prison. Yeah. Oh. So he he was in jail, but he's uh-huh. getting his grade twelve uh, diploma, and he's. Um, uh, he's coming out soon with high hopes, and we have high hopes from as well. But his story is is obviously also fascinating because it raises the question of there's all this talk, and particularly in our country in Canada, where there's been a lot of quite heavy-handed um, prison reform uh, by our our conservative federal government. And the question is, you know, what what are you doing in jail? Are you punishing somebody, or are you rehabilitating them? And 
if you're punishing them and they're paying their debt to society, um, as every you know everybody says that you're paying your debt to society by being in jail. Well, what does that really mean for someone like Paul Muhammad? You know, he had a terrible life yeah. growing up, and you think, well, maybe society owes Paul Muhammad a debt too, which is not to excuse his behavior, but to say that that um, it's it's complex. And if you are paying a debt to society by being in jail then when you leave jail, um, it, it should be over. You know, you should be able to get out of jail and reintegrate. And, of course, we know that that doesn't happen at all. As Conrad Black, our other um, uh, person who is, is meditating on, on uh, the justice system because he was also in jail, he says you're, you're permanently stigmatized afterwards. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a chance of reintegrating, how, how are you going to manage? You're going to go back uh, to, to, to the life that, that put you in jail in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And then what's really great about having, um, you know, Paul Muhammad juxtaposed with Conrad Black is that their experiences in prison were so different. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Um, I don't know what kind of, where he was in prison, Conrad Black, but it sounds like a pretty cool place. I mean, he was talking about he had TV, access to the Internet, as many books as he wanted to read. Um, yeah. It just sounds like, you know, it's like, where is this prison and what? What was his crime? And wow. Well, I mean, white collar crime often results in, um, you know, it's a, it's a you're in a minimum security prison, which is, is is you know, you have a lot of freedom there. Of course, I mean, you don't you don't have ultimate freedom, but you you do have a lot of freedom. And as he quite rightly points out, you know, there are a lot of people for whom the structure of that is is much more is much preferable to anything that they would be living with if they were outside and it it it's a very complicated question the justice question because obviously um if we are just talking about punishment then we're going to just keep getting people coming back into the system if we start talking about education and rehabilitation real rehabilitation mm-hmm. um i would say that that is what leads to you know, remorse and redemption on one level or another, and to change, and 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 that kind of rehabilitation requires, you know, uh, a different kind of attention than the attention of punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then um, you you know, sort of continuing in that this whole debt to society, um, you know, which is why people are supposedly um, incarcerated so they could pay their debt to a, to society. However, um, you know, that debt doesn't seem to ever be paid or never enough. And and you visit the East Side Penitentiary, which is now I guess a museum and and, yeah. and, and the uh the I guess the curator um talks about how initially penitence is where penitentiary comes from and people, you know, having the opportunity to reflect on what they did to get them there, yeah. you know, and, in the first and place. Repent. And, yeah, so they basically so, repent. It's a penitentiary yeah. because you're meant to be <laughs> penitent in it. But the yeah. Eastern State Penitentiary, is a, it is a museum now, and it's a fascinating place because it's this crumbling, um, you know, Gothic uh, uh, structure. However, um, as the first modern penitentiary, um, when it was built, um, it, it, it as as our curator says, it kind of collapsed under its own weight for two reasons. It became far too expensive to run because all of the people who were in there were in complete isolation. Uh, they were never meant to ever see any other person, so they had their own cell. They had little gardens attached to their cell so they could go outside. 
and their meals were put in under under the door. They even if if they worked, they only worked inside their cell. There were never any communal moments, and people went crazy from the isolation. The isolation was meant to be to allow them to reflect and repent. And the other thing about that is it became incredibly expensive to run because if you're dealing with that many different people uh, on that level, you know, individual meals, not being able to, you know, have two or three people in a room, it, it costs too much. And, and and that's one of the reasons that it failed. Hmm. Yeah. You know, you know, California has been looking, um, you know, recently at solitary confinement with the hunger strike that was um, – was uh, uh, instituted um, or that happened at Pelican Bay um, because yeah. of the secured housing units, and um, and there was um, there've been a lot. There was a public hearing, a large public hearing last year um, at the California State Assembly, um, uh, hosted by the uh, chair of the public, I think public safety welfare um, uh, committee, um, uh, Senator um, Assembly Speaker um, Assemblyman. Uh, Mark Leno out of San Francisco, and um, because it's it's in, in one of the experts um, speaking um, for the inhabitants of the the secured housing units, he talked about the whole idea of penitentiary and uh, penitence and and how you know over time you know it was seen that this doesn't work you know taking people away from other human beings and isolating them was not something that made them rehabilitated them. Actually, it drove them crazy, uh, and it was inhumane uh, treatment. So to see this, this uh, cause I, but I'd never, you know, heard of Eastern State. Well, you don't history. really think about it, but it's interesting because people always talk about how you you work things out mm-hmm. um, in relation with others. That's how you, you know, if you have to live with others in the world, then it makes sense that you would try to work things out or rehabilitate with others instead of in isolation. And you can't live in the world all alone, completely isolated. So is it not better to to try, you know, uh, rehabilitation uh, with in community? I guess is, the, is so. It's an interesting question. But then you have the question, um, you know, in the film also about uh, environmental debt and when some debt. Yes. Cannot be paid with money, and you know one of the reasons that we chose to film the Gulf oil spill mm-hmm. and to tell that story, both right when it happened and then a year afterwards to go back down and and ask people, you know, how's it going? Uh, how is it a year after when people have mostly forgotten about it um, internationally around the world, where whereas the effects are still, you know. Um, pervasive uh, and the, the question there was how can you even put a monetary figure on this debt and the, the attempts of BP to come up with a figure you know 20 billion dollars as the, the figure of reparation um, it just seemed absolutely absurd <laughs> that you could even try to you know talk about it in terms of money right mm-hmm. um, so that um, that's a question that how, how do you measure that debt. How do you measure the debt to the the species in the ocean, and how do you measure that debt to the you know um, the 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 birds and the plants and and the people who 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 live there? I don't know. I, 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 I and I don't think you can do it with money. 
Yeah, and and it was just you know just it, yeah um, you know the footage of of the golf and and those poor birds covered in oil and the the babies covered in oil and oh man and 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 just you know sort of the aerial shots of from I guess archival footage of you know the early fires and then the dusting or the what, what was that when they sprayed that stuff to make it all. Yeah, disbursement. Yeah, and then making everything. And then right before it happens, you know, your um, your expert um, uh, is her name Cassie. Cassie is she the person? Cassie Mobile Callaway. Bay, yeah, Cassie. Yeah, Carol, she's yeah, the, the mobile bay mobile beekeeper. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and she's saying, you know, she was like talking to her person, her expert, and says, but whatever, you know, all costs, don't let them do the dusting. I mean, you know, the disbursement. And then the next frame. They're doing the disbursement, like, oh no, they're doing it. I mean, we know the story, of course, but uh, we're like, it, and then it's really interesting. I'm sort of jumping around. I mean, they do the disbursement, and then, you know, the um, it wasn't a case settled this year. Yeah, I mean, the 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 the, the, the case was more or less. I mean, it it has been um, settled, or the figure has been determined, et cetera, et cetera. But there have also been you know, criminal cases brought, uh, starting to be brought against. Um, uh, so people are trying to figure out what what actually happened, whether things were covered up, et cetera, et cetera. And it is one of those situations where you're now seeing, certainly in terms of the, um, uh, you know, the shrimp fishery, uh, et cetera, the, what the longer-term repercussions will be. But, you know, the longer-term repercussions we really won't know for you know, 10, 20 years. So uh, there are some people who believe that all of that oil is just sitting at the bottom of the ocean um, because it was dropped down to the bottom by the dispersant rather than, you know, uh, skimmed and boomed and and picked up from the top. And whether that was a, you know, a, a PR move, as Casey says, a way to sort of keep it out of sight, out of mind, um, you know that's open to debate, I guess. But if if that oil is still on the bottom, um, it, it's it's not gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's still there. Yeah. So so tell our audience. Um, you know, you've got other films under your belt, and and your partner is a is a is a is he a filmmaker um, as well? He is. I have <laughs> been working with um, <laughs> my husband. <laughs> Um, for 20 years now, and we've made uh, all of our films together. He's okay. he's a producer, and he's the cinematographer. So oh. everything that you see in the film, uh, oh, he did he, it. He shot it, and <laughs> it's oh, a what it's a wonderful a great, team. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, as we say often, we we spend way too much time together because we also have <laughs> children, and you know, we it's this life work balance constantly, but. Um, most people, when they go to work, at least they go into a different world than the world of their spouse. But for us, we're we're together all the time. In fact, I'm sitting across from him at a partner's desk right now in our office. <laughs> so, um, but uh, we, uh, it's a very, it's a productive relationship because one of the things I realize, and I've noticed this when I work with other people, and he works with other people too sometimes. We're not always glued to each other, but uh, um, you do have to schedule time to talk about things. And when you're working with, when I'm working with another cinematographer or I'm, I'm, I'm working with other people, you have to sort of sit down and say, okay, let's talk about these 
issues that we have to deal with in this film, whereas with my husband, Nick, Nick Napontier, we have we can talk about it at any time. So we're you know in the car on a long drive, and our kids are asleep in the back, and we have a couple of hours to talk. And I think that that ongoing communication about our work is really helpful in the stuff that we do together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you pronounce your last name? Bechuel. 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 Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was reading, and I'm not certain where that is in in the um. Uh, the notes um, of how someone gave you the book, <laughs> gave you this idea, and you spent a lot of time trying to figure out after you, you read the book like over a year, and then you were doing a little research into sort of the, the language of, of of debt via, you know, the economics of it um, before you decided not to, well, I mean, you know, decided sort of the angle you were going to take on the story. But I wonder if you could um, talk about, you know these um you know your process because as you say in you know in the notes that you know you read and wrote for a year you shot for a year and edited for a year um you said i wish i could be more efficient but i guess i haven't figured out how to do that yet i probably won't <laughs> and then you show the film to you know margaret atwood and i'm like i just love her work i'm like oh my god you know the handmaid's tale she could have stopped there but she oh, did oh i know and I her know. poetry is so phenomenal i mean like she's oh, just she, like oh she, my god She's extraordinary. I mean, you can imagine how intimidated I was um, adapting a book <laughs> of hers. Could, like that, yeah. that in itself was, was quite terrifying. But I think I realized uh, the book came from the National Film Board in Canada, which is a wonderful institution in our country that supports documentary um, and, and Canadian film animation documentary. But they've really been the voice of documentary um, or, or a strong supporter of documentary here over the years. And they got the rights to her book. And this wonderful producer there, Ravita Din, uh, called me and said, would you be interested in this? And, of course, my first response was no, for two reasons. I, why would I um, set myself up for the agony of trying to adapt a Margaret Atwood book, one? And two, if it's about money, I'm not the right person to do it. And when I read it and found out that it was about guilt and sin and revenge and forgiveness and, and and environmental catastrophe and all of these things that we live with every day in our relationships, you know, that just little things like you open a door for someone and if they don't say thank you, you're you're kind of missed, you know, because they owe you that. We we we're governed by these 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 um patterns of exchange that I think are, are, are what what make us a social and cooperative um, species as humans. And I think that we are more cooperative than competitive for the most part. But when I read it, and I, so then I was hooked, but then it became this question of, well, how do I, you know, make this intelligent into a film if it's, it, it may not be able to be done? And that's why it took so long. And I think that my um, my process is a bit of a laborious one because I really um, feel like I have to know everything or kind of get a uh, get a handle on everything before I start. So I do a lot of research. And then we often go back to places three, four, five times. So we were in Florida um, four or five times, and we didn't even know that the CIW was going to make an agreement with Pacific tomato growers when we started filming there. That happened during the course of that year and was a wonderful 
uh, example of paying back. Um, but it happened just because we were filming and we took a long time. And I, I don't think you can really, um, I don't think you can tell significant stories when you don't build up significant relationships. I, I think it's sort of crucial, especially to the kind of documentary work that we do. Yeah, and, and speaking of relationships, I mean, you had like a star-studded cast of experts. Oh, my goodness. So how did you get, you know, Karen Armstrong and um, Patel? And, yeah, talk about your experts. And it's just, just really cool the way you sort of wove that into the story. Um, and I and I just love, you know, again, um, um, you see, you, you mentioned his name was Paul, Paul Muhammad. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're you're um you know, one of the subjects and in the story of of his, you know, addiction and, and what that led him to do, you know, like robbing this woman who um was uh, a survivor of the Holocaust. And yeah. and his like talking about how fast he turned around, you know, what he uh sort of took from her house. Um, you know, he's I think he smoked it up or shot it up or whatever. Um, I don't know which direction it went in but uh you know when he bought drugs and used them it was so fast but sort of the the resulting um pain you know it, it's it's still with that woman you know she doesn't feel safe in her house but she doesn't want to yeah. leave her house because it's her community and just that whole you know victim um uh perpetrator uh sort of facing each other like that in your film is just really remarkable as well as you know the farm worker and uh and the and the um um i guess the, the the person who owns the farm you know them facing each other in your film was really great and then even you know the two sides of the feud facing each other with this arbitrator in the middle who's with the world court um yeah uh why don't you talk about all these experts and and then the ending is so fabulous I just love oh, that. Thank you. Well, like, and oh, and then Ebenezer Scrooge. We love that story. Well, that, is the, like, wow. her, her idea of Scrooge <laughs> is this, you know, this character who who is is greedy, let's mm-hmm. say, and kind of has a has an epiphany. But the experts in the film. I mean, I I read all of these people and follow them. Raj Patel is a. I mean, he's such a wonderful person and so smart and so acute in his observations um that he's an extraordinary writer talker thinker and um you know he was the right person obviously to to talk about uh issues around well everything but uh, particularly um farm worker justice and karen armstrong of course you know one of the premier um i would say probably the best known uh uh commentator and uh, analyst of of religious life uh, contemporary religious life uh, is is she's extraordinary, and I wanted these views, these people's views, to not be like they were experts pronouncing on the stories and saying, "Oh, this is what you should think of this." And I know people have had we've had reactions to some of our films. Um, our, our films are they're elliptical, not linear. They don't advance a particular argument. That you know, you start at the beginning, and the whole film is about you know shoring up that argument they're trying to create a space for you to think about something in a different way so when you have you know um uh one of these thinkers william reese for example who is the or, or the person who first 
coined the term ecological footprint, and he was the he was he developed ecological footprint analysis. He's a brilliant thinker, but when he just talks about you know maybe capitalism has run its course, it's defunct because it, it's based on a notion of unlimited resources. That opens up an idea a bit, and I wanted the commentators and the the thinkers in the film to do that so that we could get deeper into. Um, you know, a, a an exploration of what debt really is. So I really tried to have um, <clears throat> these uh, these great um, provocative and yeah thought thought provoking um, statements interwoven with the stories and with with Margaret Atwood's um, uh, lecture because these this, this book was originally a lecture as a way of of circling around this issue and, and opening it up uh, to so we could think about it more. That was the idea. Uh, well, it's brilliant, and um, yes, <laughs> it, it's, it's fantastic, and wow, I'm sure Margaret Atwood loved it, did she? <laughs> well, that was, uh, you can imagine how terrified I was when we showed it to her, because she really didn't see it at all, and it wasn't part of the editing process, really, and um I I we we screened it for her and I was so relieved that she liked it and she has been so supportive in terms of um you know talking uh, talking about it coming with us to the Sundance Film Festival when it opened coming with us to New York when it opened and really being a champion of it but I also knew that one of the advantages of taking so long to make films is that you 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 generally have thought about every possibility. So if she had, you know, said that there was something she didn't like, I have probably already thought about that in my own head and come up with some kind of a response to it. So I knew I could justify it, um, justify the choices that, that we made, but I'm very glad and, and relieved uh, that she also liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, we think about the uh, the uh, aphorism, Af- aphorism um pay it forward and, yes. and and so you know you think about that in light of payback you know paying it forward because that's definitely sort of uh you know in it's included even if unspoken in the payback because you know it, it goes both ways you know what's interesting that margaret talked about that we talked about that in the um we did a Q&A at Film Forum in New York, and she said, uh, you know, I can't pay back Shakespeare because he's not alive anymore. <laughs> um, uh, but I owe a great debt to Shakespeare as a writer. And what I can do is is pay it forward with by helping other writers, by being a mentor for other writers, by letting, uh, by hoping that other writers are inspired by my work. And I just thought that was such a beautiful sentiment because that's exactly right. We all have people who have, uh, and not just you know people and situations and environments and ecosystems that have helped us and and have um, inspired us and encouraged us. And I think that we by by trying to paying it forward is is trying to do things that um, maybe that the people who helped you will will not reap the benefit, but others will. Mm-hmm. That that would be wonderful right. as a model. Mm-hmm. Certainly, certainly. I want to let our other guests, uh, Eleanor Jacobs, know that I have not forgotten you. 
okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I just want to thank you so much um, for for this wonderful film and uh, payback, and let our audience know again that it's opening. Uh, May 18th in San Francisco yeah. and simultaneously in Berkeley at That's the Pierre Theater Friday. and Data Cinemas. Yes, next Friday, <laughs> the day before, like on Malcolm X birthday eve, uh, Lorraine Hansberry birthday eve, um, Ho Chi Minh birthday eve. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, and I, I think I'm doing a couple of Skype Q&As. So. Oh, um, super. At the, uh, at the theater. So I, anyway, I hope uh, people oh, get out to see it. Oh, wonderful. Oh, that's great. Oh, that would be so cool. Yeah, that would be, um, be great. Because uh, I was going to ask you, you where you're going to be, be visiting us. But this is just, just really a remarkable um, remarkable document. And, and I want to thank you so much because my, my family's in the Gulf. I'm from New Orleans. And, and so, you know, as many ways that we can keep this story in in the public eye, and keep, you know, the energy, you know, the positive energy going toward that region and as many people that can go and help with the cleanup and, you know, press our our legislators to not let this company get away with this, um, yeah. you know, the better. And, and tougher tougher regulations for oh, offshore drilling, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, go to mobilebaykeeper.com if you're interested in finding out more about what Casey and her group do. Of water keepers, they're extraordinary, and uh, they're fighting for that uh, uh, that area. But you're right; we have to keep we have to keep on about it. We can't forget. Right? Yeah. And as I mentioned, you know, before you came on the air, you know, we just have to be careful, um, and we need to we need to sort of monitor our responses to things. You know, we need to be more proactive as opposed to reactive because you know you can mess up and not be able to mend it. I mean, this guy. In, a, in northern Albania, singing about, um, you know, uh, what is it, reconciliation. But the guy in the bar who shows us all the places where the bullet went, he's not yeah. feeling that. It's like, no, nah, man, no, we're not going to the law. We're going we gonna to shoot your butt if you show up. So, no, uh-uh, forever and ever. You're oh, not no. ever going back to your farm, no matter how lovely that was. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. No, I mean, it's a, it's a terrible situation. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, but well, thank you again. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Sure, and happy Mother's Day. <laughs> oh yes, happy Mother's Day to you. All right, peace and blessings. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. Hi, Eleanor. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for hanging in there. Eleanor Jacobs is gonna be portraying Lena. Younger um, in the African American Shakespeare Company's production of *Raisin in the Sun*, Lorraine Hansberry's. Uh, I don't know. It might not be the most well known, but I think it could be. I don't, I don't have any statistics on that. But <laughs> people think Lorraine Hansberry. They think, you know, *Raisin in the Raisin Sun*. *Raisin in the Sun*, for sure. For <laughs> yeah, sure. and you are playing the mama. You playing yes. the big mama. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be doing so. Just so grateful to be doing so. <laughs> Yeah, so why don't you um, tell our audience about about Lena Younger and this family that's in Chicago and trying to um, make do when you know the the you know the the head of the household, the father, you right. know, he, he passes away, and I think sounds like the man worked himself to death. He did, he did. They were poor and black and in Chicago and struggling. This was in the early fifties, and they were struggling to just make it day to day, but they had a wonderful sense of family between Lena and her husband, and they passed this on to the children. And that, I think, is the strength of it. There was just 
an innate understanding of the importance of family and staying together. And at the same time, and I think this is I, it's just my opinion, one of the reasons the play is so well-known and beloved is because there is this theme of even though you love each other and you're committed to each other, there is lack of understanding that causes friction and tension and, and uh, negativity among you. At, even as a family, even as strong as your love is, there is still the the growing and the learning and the pain of living together and trying to understand each other. And I just think that that's a lot of people can relate to that. <laughs> and that is, in my opinion, one of the reasons why the play is still alive and still beloved today. Right. Lena is a single mom. Yeah, she had yeah. a strong husband, and and he worked and worked and worked himself to death, as she says in the play. And now it's on her. She has it all on her shoulders to keep it together, to keep her children moving forward in a positive way. And it it it's a lot. It's really a lot on her shoulders. And so she is constantly aware of her need to be strong for her family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the family um you know they're all they're all staying in this apartment. Um um you don't you don't see many black families like that any longer. Um people are more spread out, but in this right. particular family, the grandmother's the you know Lena younger, right, she's there. And and her son, you know, Walter Lee younger. He's in that house with his with his wife, wife and, and, child. and son. So they've right. got like three, you know, what three generations? Three generations. And his sister, his kid right. sister, is there. Um, uh, Ruth. No, no, Ruth is his sister. The, the Ruth daughter is his wife, right? His Benita wife. is his yeah, Benita. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, Benita. She's she's a real, you know, she's this a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's in college <laughs> and learned about her African heritage. <laughs> and she is so different. Uh, you know, the way she sees the world is so different from the way her mother saw the world and, and, and grew up looking at the world. So there is the pain of the mother trying to understand how her daughter sees the world. And and it's very painful for her because she would like for her daughter to be her little baby, you know, and just be nice and be kind, and Benita has her own mind, and she has expanded her view by going to school and interacting, and she is very strong-willed. I think she is as strong-willed as her mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, I think if anyone is, is, you know, sort of like the arbitrator or trying to, like, keep the peace, it must be Ruth. <laughs> right. And Ruth, yeah, Ruth, Ruth uh, yeah. is so <laughs> strong and so quietly. Her strength is just always flowing, always flowing. And she really has an understanding, I think, in some ways of where they are, where Walter Lee is and where Benita is, that is, is greater than uh, Lena's understanding. I think she is trying to help Lena She's trying to keep the peace, and she's trying to help Lena grow and understand as well. And it's hard. It's hard. And she's even healed and strong and 
and caring, you know, her whole presence is caring and nurturing. And she she really wants everybody to be nice and to get along. And <laughs> <laughs> she does. She really does. Yeah, and she puts up with a lot. Um, you know, she keeps a lot in to, to sort of be the arbiter and try to keep peace in the house because it's too tiny. The space oh, yeah. is too small for there not to be kindness and love between the various members of the right. family because there's nowhere to go to get away. Right, there like, isn't. And so that causes, an ex- <laughs> that, that causes even more need mm-hmm. for the peace that she tries to bring. And and they're volatile. I mean, Mama, Mama, she will go so far, and then she's just going to not take it anymore, you mm-hmm. see. And there's a scene where she expresses that to Benita. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, you know, these days we look back, you know, and say, wow. Yeah. And, uh but but Ruth, she just stays, 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 even keeled and strong, even though she's hurting inside mm-hmm. at times. And I think she is the balance in the household. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of themes um, are come up in this play. When when was it written? In the early, well, it was written in the early fifties. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And it was produced in the early 50s. Yeah, okay. And it was a phenomena, as I understand it, at the time it was produced, because to have this young black woman playwright mm-hmm. produce such a play was really a phenomena in the theater world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did she, um, is this the one she got, like, did she get, like, did Lorraine Hansberry get, um, Get one of the first awards. Um, I think writing? she did. I'm not certain of exactly what the award was, but I know the critical praise was just inordinate. She, this play just riveted the theater world and some of the 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 uh, best known and, and respected critics were just uh, boiled over and just had nothing but praise for her. They were just amazed that when they. Uh, Realize that this young woman could produce such a play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was reading. Uh, just looked it up, and it says uh, it pre- premiered on Broadway in March 11, 1959. Uh huh. And um, it says, "Waiting for the curtain to rise on opening night, Hansberry and producer Philip Rose did not expect the play to be a success, but already received mixed reviews from a preview audience the night before. And though it received popular and critical acclaim, reviewers argued about whether the play was universal or particular to the African American experience." Uh, the New York Drama Critics Circle named it the best play of 1959, uh-huh. and it ran for nearly two years and was produced on tour. Uh-huh. And it was the first play written by a black woman to be produced on Broadway, as well as the first play with a black director, Lloyd Richards, on Broadway. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and it's like, wow, um, Sidney Poitier was in the play, <laughs> Claudia McNeil was in uh-huh. the play. They both got Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Director was Lloyd Richards. Um, it's like, wow, that's So it was cool. a smash. It was a total a smash. smash. Hit. And then they made the film, you know, just two years yeah. later. <laughs> right, right. And that was well-received as well. Yeah, it sure was. And then it's so well-received, um, you know, they did it again with Felicia Rashad and, and uh, Sean Combs, right? Right. Now, I haven't yeah. seen that, but I know it won high praise as well mm-hmm. in awards. Yeah, yeah. The rev- and it was a revival on Broadway in 2004 with Sean Combs. And oh, Felicia Rashad, and, I, and that led to the movie in 2008, uh-huh. the TV film. Yeah. 
So talk about talk about um you know, Lena Mama and, you know, her husband dies and she's got, you know, these headstrong children, her son. Right, um, and her Lee. son has, he is ambitious, and he describes himself as a volcano. He works as a chauffeur, mm-hmm. and he just, that just chafes him, you know. He doesn't like that. He wants to, he has big ideas. He's exposed to the business world through his job, the person he works for, and so he gets to see and be in the environment where business deals are being made and decisions are being made. And he sees this, and, of course, he's not able to participate. He's just observing. But within himself, he feels that he is just as qualified. And, you know, he should be able to be doing that instead of to be doing, you know, what he's doing. And so he's all wound up. And he describes himself as a volcano. He has all these dreams and these these ideas, and he wants them to go forward and flower, and he's just stymied. And then there is this insurance money that's coming, life insurance money that's coming. And he is seeing this as his opportunity to to do something, to break out of this, you know, prison that he sees himself in. And he has ideas about what he wants to do with this. And the Lena does not agree at all and does not understand. And in no way is she going to allow this money to be used in the way that Walter wants it to be used. Mm-hmm. So there is just tension and Walter lashes out and, and Lena stands her ground. And so you, it's, you know, that kind of situation. It's mm-hmm. volatile. It's yeah. absolutely volatile. That's putting it putting it lightly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, when one thinks about, you know, Walter Lee you know, talks about himself where he compares himself to a volcano, you think about the title, um, you know, Raising in the Sun and that comes from Langston Hughes poem, um right. um uh What's what's the Langston Hughes poem called? About the dream deferred. Yeah, dream deferred, uh-huh. right? And then and in the end, you know, it's like, um, do you know that poem? Could you could you I give don't it? know it verbatim, but I've certainly read it and enjoyed it over the years. And I know that the play, the title of the play, and the the inspiration comes from that poem. Yeah, because what happens is if you have a dream deferred, um, right? It, it explodes. Um, right. Yeah, and that's the line. Um, let me. Uh, we find it in oh, wonderful. Yeah, so what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a surfy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? Uh-huh. Yeah, and then and then you have, you know, volcanoes, mountains. Right. What do they do? <laughs> they explode. <laughs> they explode. <laughs> yeah, and everything, everyone who's nearby feels, you know, what happens after that. Right. Like the rocks hit you in the head. Right. The Nobody lava burns on you under the feet. Nobody is untouched. Nobody so, is untouched. Yeah, so we don't want Walter Younger to explode. No. <laughs> <laughs> and Lena is using her strength. She stands toe-to-toe with him. And she she uh, stands on her right to see her vision of the world and her right to make the decisions about what she thinks is best for the family. And she knows that he doesn't agree and it's totally opposed to what he's thinking. But she is not going to buckle. She is not going to buckle. 
She has in her mind what she thinks is best for the family, and she's moving forward that way. And it saddens her. It makes her sad, for sure. It hurts her inside that he doesn't agree, but she is determined. And she feels she has to be because her husband is not there, and she knows and feels what he would think and do about the situation. Yeah, cause, you know, cause she loves she loves oh. uh, you know Walter Lee, and yet and she loves Benita, and she loves her her you know loves her grandson as right. well as his mother Ruth, and she wants to try to do what's best for all of them with this little bit of money, right. which is not which is not you know you know the father. It's right. you know he worked himself to death, so it's like blood money. Right. It's like it's like blood it's, money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And she, she and and I my sense of it is that she and Walter Lee were really, really close and really loved each other. Mm-hmm. And she misses that on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And and yet she has to put that aside and just be strong. Be strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is it with this, this black woman strength thing? <laughs> well, it's, yeah. you know, yeah, it's funny character. you because I was thinking about that and, uh, uh-huh. you know, I'm a woman of a certain age and I, you know, heard a lot of debate back and forth, and but I, my grandmother was one of those strong matriarchs and so forth, and so I think we just, we wanted to keep our families, the black women, uh, keep them alive. Number one was just a basic thing, particularly with the history of slavery and and the segregation and all that the black people have gone through in this country. Sometimes <clears throat> it was the mother. And that woman, who was who, strong woman, that actually kept people alive, kept the children alive, kept the family alive, because the threats were real. I mean, life and death threats were real. And in the, the era that Lena came from, she remembers lynching and those things that happened to black people. So I think the women, the strong, the strength came about of necessity in many situations to just keep your children alive, keep your family alive. And then as the years went by, it was to constantly be looking forward, constantly be looking at what is more positive, what is more positive, where can we go, where can we grow, where can we, you know, begin to live life to the fullest. So, again, you know, it may not have been a matter of life and death as it had been in, in, you know, in the past, but it was still a matter of life and death into ensuring that the the path is positive and we're moving forward, forward, forward. Yeah. Well, you can think about it. I mean, it was it is was a matter of life and death because um, with Lorraine Hansberry, you know, the uh, Lorraine Vivian Hansberry. Um, uh, the third, uh, mm-hmm. she was born May nineteenth, nineteen thirty, and she departed um, from this this life um, on this planet in in the form that we we know, you know, right. such, uh, January twelfth, nineteen sixty five. You know, her father he was um, uh, he was a real estate developer and broker, and and the family moved around Chicago, integrating the various neighborhoods. Uh-huh. And you, you remember the story where someone. Um, uh, planted a bomb in their house, and and 
or no, threw a bomb through her wind, their window, or threw a, threw a bottle through the window, and she had just been sitting there, and she would have still been sitting in that window because they didn't right. want her living in that neighborhood. They would burn crosses on their their lawns and things. She would have been hit by that bottle if, right. if she would have right. sitting there. So, so she, um, she was very aware, mm-hmm. and to be yeah. able to put it into this story, mm-hmm. you're, I'm constantly in awe. You know, as you yeah. read it, working in the play, and there's just nothing but awe that this young woman, because that's young. She was only 35 when she passed. That is young to be able to put all of those experiences together and weave the tapestry of this right. story. Yeah, well, let me let the audience know that um, the African American Shakespeare Company is actually, um, you know, this play is closes their their wonderful season, and uh, this particular play, directed by artistic director um, L. Peter Callender, it opens on the twelfth, uh, which is Saturday, the twelfth, and it continues through the twenty seventh of May at the African American Art and Culture Complex in the Barrio Clay Theater. Um, I do not have the contact information right in front of me. Do you happen to have it in front of you? Hello? Well, I can give you <laughs> Erica's number, and she would have all of that. It would be oh, able to no, get it. Oh, no, we don't want to give Erica's number, so I'm, <laughs> looking, I'm looking for it. Oh, here it is. Uh, the Barrick Lake Theater is located at 762 Fulton Street at Webster in San Francisco. Tickets are 10 to $35, and information is area code, well, one 800 Eight three eight three zero zero six, or you can visit African hyphen American Shakes S H A K E S dot O R G for all the information uh, and for tickets. Again, um, that's the twelfth, May twelfth through the twenty seventh. Uh, Lorraine, uh, not Lorraine, excuse me, <laughs> at uh, African American Shakespeare Company, which uh, has its um, theater in the Barrier Barrier Clay Theater at the African American Art and Culture Complex, seven six two Fulton Street at Webster. Okay, just wanted to make sure we did that before. Thank you, you know? thank you. Thank yeah. <laughs> so, um, tell us about about your background. How do you how did you come to this wonderful character? And tell us about the ensemble. I'm sure it's just really fabulous. I was looking at some of the names I recognize. Like, ooh, this is gonna be so good. Right. Well, L. Peter Callender, number one, is amazing. He is amazing, and talk about volcano. <laughs> you know, just any session with him to me is like a master class nice. in acting. Yeah. And he's a renowned director and an actor. Mm-hmm. So that to me, <laughs> we are we have an enhanced opportunity here, and that's why I say I'm so grateful for this opportunity. And I'm I've been acting since grade school, and still, uh, and then I do other things to pay my bills. But this is where my heart has always been. And I had always acted in grade school and high school and community theater and then did not do anything for more than 25 years. Oh, wow. And I was raising my family and building a career and so forth and then went back about five years ago and started taking classes again and acting and and auditioning and started actually acting in uh, productions again in the African-American Shakespeare Company. I've been in three productions there. Okay. And so I was in Cinderella. I was grandma on Cinderella. Okay. <laughs> you were great. But... And I did that twice. And then I was Cleante okay. in uh, Tartuffe, their production of Tartuffe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I was Dr. Pinch in Comedy of Errors. Okay. <laughs> so I really just felt that it was 
home, you know, and what a wonderful opportunity to be able to work in with this company that was founded by a young black woman, Sherry Young. And uh, so to be able to be in this production of Raisin in the Sun is, like, awesome to me. I'm just awed. And the cast, Wanda, the cast, It's sometimes I'm sitting watching in rehearsal and my mouth is literally open. My mouth just falls open at the level of talent that is that, that L. Peter has uh, arrayed here. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. It's like Lorraine herself could not have done any better with putting together this group of people to do this play that L. Peter has done, the way he's done this. And it's just, I just feel it's a wonderful opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. Well, let's mention some of the cast, um, just in case um, we have some listeners that might know their know them. Um, we've got uh, Kagan uh, Wethington. Uh, he plays George uh, Merkinson, and um, and then we've got I think George is George the uh, the representative for the the the, uh, the association that is trying. That's to Mr. Keep Linder. Linder. Okay. I think his name is Carl Linder. Carl Linder. Okay, so uh-huh. is George one of um. Uh, one of uh, Walter's friends. George is Benita's boyfriend. One of the young men that she goes out with. Oh, okay, okay, all right, yeah. And then the other one is um, uh, Joseph Asagai, right? Played by Eric Banks. Right, right. <laughs> he is the young African man who is in love with Benita. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then we've got uh, Ruth Younger is um, played and by Leontine um, Bailey. Um, Bung. Right. Yeah. And uh and then we've got uh Carl Linder who we mentioned. Um he is the person um who's with the uh the tennis association. And um, that's Lance Huntley is Right, Lance yeah. And, and uh that's uh, cause one of the things that um um your character has a balance is okay, we've got these dreams and we don't want anything to explode. So how do we balance this out? We only have a we have a finite you know, amount of money, and right. uh, and nothing this big of a sum is coming back coming. So we want to like she wants to put a little bit, you know, aside for the grandchild's education. Right for Benita. Yeah, well, for, for Benita, his for daughter. For the grandchild, for sure. But for Benita's, because Benita, who's played Benita's by Ciara Harris, yeah. she wants to be a doctor. Right. So she really wants to push out, and then Walter, who's played by Todd Risby, mm-hmm. he has his own dream for this money. So right. that's where the clash, the clash comes in. Yeah. And Lena does say she's very adamant that yes, there will be some part of this money put aside for beneath the schooling. Mm-hmm. So she is adamant about that. Right. Right. Yeah. And and then we have um we have some other we have a few two children that are playing the Travis younger character and we have a. Uh, Zion Richardson is one, and right. Davion Green is the other. So they're right. and they're they're just phenomenal. They are fantastic actors, mm-hmm. and it's a pleasure to work with them. Right, an honor to work with them, really, mm-hmm. to see these young actors. And they're nine. I think their ages are eight and nine. Okay, nice, nice, yeah. And then uh, another one of Walter's friends is played by. Um, the friend Bobo is played right. by B. Chico Perdman. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know his his work. <laughs> he is yeah, wonderful. so it's um, 
And I don't know, did we mention uh, Sierra Harris, who plays Bernita? Yeah, Sierra okay. Harris is yeah. Bernita. Right, and then and then you, the mother, you know, the. Yeah, I just really really like how um, your character sort of um, tries to to find a a, a place um, that she can allow her son to be the man that he right. wants to be, and 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 you know and sort of loosen whatever strings or right. whatever was right. holding him back. The apron that, strings, right. Yeah, exactly, so that uh-huh. he could come into the fullness of who he is because maybe prior to that, this challenge, you know, or this legacy that his father left for him, you know, he wasn't really a, being a man. You know, maybe he was, you know, almost a man, but not quite there yet. Right, and, so now here's and the opportunity Nina for him was to step very, into it. you know, she was one of those mothers with this is my cup, so I'm sure there were times mm-hmm. when she was, could be stifling mm-hmm. to him, yeah. but always with the idea of keeping it positive. Mm-hmm. But again, she doesn't really understand his view of the world. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, he <laughs> he has a lot. He has a lot on his shoulders. A yeah. strong mother, and yet these dreams that are totally opposite to the way she sees the world, mm-hmm. and yeah. she controls this opportunity. She is a decision maker mm-hmm. about this opportunity, this money, what will be done with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she's and that's kind of universal. The families, I think that's part of the appeal that a lot of people in families can relate to that. You know, whatever pathway they're on, they can relate to those family themes, the love, the closeness, and yet the the tension and the lack of understanding that can be there at the same time in a family. Mm-hmm. So it's very much a family story. Yeah, yeah. And um you know and and you know and and your character is looking looking at the future, you know, if the family has a house they don't have to worry about yes. they don't have to worry about a place to stay. That's important. Right. You know, having a house with a little garden, you know, right. she's got this flower that she's been you know, sort of nurturing. Right. She has this one and, plant mm-hmm. that she's been nurturing, and if they get this house, she can finally have a chance to have a little, because she calls it a little patch of dirt mm-hmm. where maybe I can grow me a few flowers. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're on the south side, and they're looking, you know, not that they don't want to live on the south side, but there's more, you know, they can't find what they want there. They want right. a better community, a better neighborhood, and so that means they have to move across town, then so be it. And she right. found this nice house that they can afford. And then what happens with that? You know, it's like the neighborhood, you know, in the in the guise of their representative says, no, we don't want you to live here. Right. We'll pay you more money to not right. live here than right. you would have if you moved in. Right. And then pay that's them. another dilemma. Right. <laughs> and, it, and it seems like they're paying them to say, they are paying them to say they're not worth living, right. as Lena says, not worth being on the earth. Right, right, And then she just cannot, she will not, you know. It's just something that is impossible for her to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, she's got, she, you know, she can, you know, she's got that memory, you know, the Sankofa, you know, she doesn't have to turn her head back too far to be able to be enslavement (laughs) and to see Jim Crow. Absolutely. And they're they're living in a time of, you know, segregation, even though, quote, you know, they're in the north, like not really the north south. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's your what is your what are some of your favorite scenes, um, yeah, in, in the play? 
<laughs> well, certainly the scene where, as she says, Walter comes into his manhood. And that scene is thrilling. It's thrilling. It, mm. it gives me chills. Uh-huh. And the scene where he, you know, his plan to go along with this man who's offering the money, that is just chilling to mm. see how he expresses what he intends to do. But it, but what it, what gets you about it, what's chilling is, you get a chance to see his level of despair, the mm. despair that he is feeling that would drive him to this decision. To go along with that, and and Todd Risby, the actor, is just wonderful, and that scene just chills me. It just, you know, it just frightens me. But but there's that glorious scene where, uh, you know, he sees the world and sees it there and realizes in a moment when he sees his son, the next generation, that he cannot uh, do that. He just can't do that and when he says that and that is just i think you know the cat we there are moments where we're overcome as cast members (laughs) and and that's certainly one of them for me Mm -hmm. yeah wow i was thinking um as you were saying that the themes of of you know trust and forgiveness Uh are also you know quite visible in, in the interactions um, between the your character Lena and and her son Walter Lee, right, uh, and between Walter Lee and, and Ruth, Ruth and and, and Walter Lee and Benita, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to a certain degree, right, and, because Benita is impatient. Mm-hmm. You know, she is just quick to dismiss him as you know, well, not even worth bothering with. And then when she realizes. You know, and and feels her love for him and and her pride in him when he makes the the, the decision that he's not going to go down this devastating path. Mm-hmm. That is really a wonderful. That's one of the the high points of the of the story, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When Benita, as young as she is, realizes how much she loves him, and then. How where he is and and how positive that is, mm-hmm. and there's a glow. There's a glow, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking also about the, what your character says to Benita about black manhood, mm-hmm. and and how you know you the brothers have taken taken. A oh, real yeah. serious hit, and they keep on taking hits, and they don't Absolutely. need to take hits in the family. And I don't—I mean, that, that's not—I'm paraphrasing. It's not completely, right. but uh, <laughs> uh-huh. but you're doing a wonderful job because that's the gist of what she's saying. It's easy to dismiss. It's easy to dismiss, but the love and understanding comes not when everything is going well, but when he's down and in despair. That's when he needs love. That's when he needs understanding. And she says, you don't measure. When you start judging somebody, child, take everything into consideration. Don't just take what they've done right here that you don't agree with. You've got to take everything into consideration. And she calls it the hills and valleys that he has come through. And that she's 
giving Benita that wisdom. You know, I know it would be easy for you to dismiss him, but you can't do that. You, if you if you're going to measure him and judge him, start at the beginning. Start understanding what he's been through to make him feel and do what he's doing now. And Benita realizes that, and she understands that. And that's a wonderful, wonderful moment. It really is. It really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a really really beautiful story, and and the reason why it's it's performed all around the world. Uh huh. Um, I mean, it's been translated to so many different languages. It's just amazing uh, because it's, you know, it's about a family. Right. And, and everybody's got a family. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you don't have to be in Chicago. You know, you, you don't have to be in right. San Francisco. Right, it's, right it's, here. Yeah but, yeah, but it's like, you know, it's a family and it's looking at, you know, so the, what what was the sacrifice? What was the great sacrifice in our lives so that we could be here together right now in this moment right. trying to right. figure out how do we cash in on this legacy in a way that furthers the vision of the one who, right. who sacrificed their life right. for right. this. Right. You know, it right. wasn't easy for, you know, Walter Lee Sr. to get up every day and go to no. work. You know, I mean, no. it was like it didn't sound really pleasant. Um, you know, he died from a, I think he died from a heart attack. I think he just his heart just stopped because it was just so. I mean, it just was mm-hmm. just took so much out of him. Right. You know, I mean, his family wasn't enough. It wasn't to be able to offset this this battle right. that he was waging every mm-hmm. day on the work. You know, in work, the, the right. workplace. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you think about that today. I mean, gosh, the few people that have positions, right? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and you mentioned that you got a day job yourself, right? <laughs> so, cause, so you can't you can't feed yourself with what you love with your Absolutely. passion. Absolutely. So it's like, okay, so how do how do I save enough of myself to be able to do what I love? Right, exactly. <laughs> and to be present with those that I love. How do I shake off the world so that I can be here with you? You know, my right. beloved family, my beloved children. You know my sisters and my brothers and my mother and my my friends, and and then and then get what you need there to be able to go out again because it's it's really you know it's not getting any easier outside. No, 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 and it takes a lot, and you have to have that core. You re- preserve that core, that nurturing core of the family. Yeah, yeah, family is really important. Um, people uh, don't seem to value it as much as, as it's been valued before. Is that is that why African American Shakespeare Company is doing uh Raising the Sun? Because so the whole idea of honoring and lifting up the Honoring black and lifting and preserving and preserving and understanding the strength of the foundation which buoys you mm-hmm. to go forward. Uh-huh. You know. We have a yeah. strong, strong foundation. Mm-hmm. And I think this presentation will will refresh that. We'll refresh that understanding of the black foundation Mm -hmm. and the family foundation, whatever pathway you're on. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. So have you had your your school time performance yet? Because I know you all do something every season. Yes, we did. We had it day before yesterday, and it was wonderful. (laughs) And the young people really, they they have been assigned to read the play, and they really liked it. And they said we read it and we liked it the production, and they asked wonderful questions about it, very thoughtful questions mm-hmm. nice. about it. And um, 
So that was really a pleasure. That was a joy to have them be there mm-hmm. and to feel their, uh, you know, their their response to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How how old were were the, were the children? In I the think they were middle school, maybe a little older. Okay. Some middle school and a little, maybe freshman uh, in high school. Okay. Oh, nice, nice, nice range. And uh, and I was just thinking how interesting it is that um, there are two Lorraine Hansberry plays being produced and performed in San Francisco at the same time. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yours um, at the African American Shakespeare Company, Raising in the Sun, and To Be Young, Gifted, and Black at uh-huh. the uh, ethnic, um, uh, multi-ethnic uh, theater um, on, um, I'm trying to think what's it on, it's on golf. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I think and that's it, really cool. It's her time. It's in celebration of her birthday, too, you mentioned. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, it's totally. Yeah, her birthday's, you know, the 19th <laughs> of May. And I didn't even know that. Because, you know, people say Malcolm X. I'm like, Lorraine right. Hansberry. And I saw him and I said, Lorraine Hansberry's birthday is, my, is the 19th as well. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you go, sister. Right. Yeah, wow, some great folks born on that day. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much. Well, um, thank you. For this thank conversation. you, thank you, thank really you. It was our pleasure. It was our pleasure. Yeah, and looking forward to seeing you. Um, I'm going away for Mother's Day weekend, so I won't be around for opening night uh, on the 12th when the play opens, but I definitely will catch it the following week. Wonderful. And uh, looking forward to seeing what you all do with one of my favorite works. Um, I remember going to a symposium. Uh, Dr. Um, Margaret Wilkerson, who was at UC Berkeley at the time, she's uh-huh. a Lorraine Hansberry scholar, oh, and uh-huh. and they were doing a symposium on her work, and I think the play was being produced by um, maybe uh, Theater Works in, in uh, Mountain View, uh-huh. and uh, uh-huh. uh, Dr. Harry Elam, uh, he had pulled together this great panel, and it was at UC Berkeley, and they were talking about everything you wanted to know about Lorraine Hansberry, and of course, you know, they talked about this, this seminal piece, you know, right. the son because, right. you know, she's so well known for this. But she's done, you know, quite a few plays. Right. And, for sure. and after she passed, you know, her, you know, the, um, the executors of her, um, of her, um, uh, estate. Estate, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, have done a really good job in, um, in, in keeping her her, her her work alive and Absolutely. allowing people to have access to it. And then, you know, having the Lorraine Hansberry Theater, you know, in San right. Francisco, every time we think the theater, we think we call her name. Right, <laughs> right. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it's really cool, yeah. And, you know, they're closing their season with another wonderful writer, um, Pearl Cleese, you know, her work, oh, yes. um, Blue oh, for yes. Alabama Sky. Did uh-huh. you get a chance to get over there, or have you been in rehearsals the whole time? I've been in rehearsals pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I also wanted to give you an opportunity to give a shout-out to your mom. And are you a mother yourself? Yes, I am, for and sure. You, okay, nice. nice. <laughs> so you can give a shout-out to your mom and... Your great well, grand, and and then also a shout out to yourself, um, you know, for being a wonderful mother. Well, to happy, happy, happy Mother's Day to all mothers, to all mothers, and it's a special day, and enjoy the specialness of the day. It's our day, so yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Do you want to tell us your mother's name and, and maybe you know well, reflect on mother, any lessons she, that you know that she, my you know, was gave Helen. you. My mother was Helen, who passed away when I was an infant. Mm -hmm. And I was raised by a grandmother, Mm -hmm. Eleanor. My grandmother raised me. And you're named after her. (laughs) And I'm named after her. (laughs) And my dad. My dad and his mom, my grandmother, Eleanor, raised my sister and I. 
And so uh, I honor my mother, and I also honor my grandmother on that day. And my grandmother has passed away. Uh, She passed away in 1970. Okay, yeah. So, and then I'm a mother. I have one son. (laughs) And so I just enjoy Mother's Day. And I, I, I love the specialness of it. I love to see that day highlighted and the mothers highlighted. Mm-hmm. So best yeah. wishes to all mothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And well, happy Mother's Day to you. And I was wondering, in closing, um, again, I think we've been in closing for a minute, but <laughs> does, does um, you know, when you, when, you, when you sort of take on this role of, of Lena uh, Younger, um, are you pulling on your relationship with your son? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and my relationship with my grandmother okay. and how she was, you know. So those are the two themes that I uh, that uh, just stay with me during this process, uh-huh. my grandmother and, of course, my son. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So so what, what do you, what, um, you know, what values or, you know, what lessons of your grandmother's uh, do you carry with you now um, that you tap into often? Well, she, uh, her strength and how she went through a lot of things. And as I say, I'm a person, a woman of a certain age, as they say, and I've gone through life and lived some things that were wonderful and did some things that were not so wonderful. My husband went through a long illness. Uh, grave ill for a long time. And so I remember how my grandmother was always there and came through, and I remember some of the things that she had had to endure. And so it's her strength that comes to me. And also her, and the beneath the character makes me chuckle sometimes because my grandmother used to say that I was the sassiest child she ever raised. (laughs) (laughs) How many did she raise? And she raised eight. Oh, wow, okay. And she, she's the fastest child I ever raised. And then when she was dying, she said to me, you know, baby, I loved you better than any of them. She said you were most like me than any of them. So that made me know that the tension that we had, because we did have some knockdown, drag-out bouts of tension, me and my grandmother, mm-hmm. but that just meant so much to me that she said that to me. And so when I see Benita, you know, and she's sassy and she knows her own mind and she, you know, I just have to chuckle because <laughs> it brings back some of those memories uh-huh. where I was going to, no, see, Grand, you don't understand. This is the way, you know, <laughs> and I say to myself, so that's how I was. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. Oh, that's great. Wow. Well, have a wonderful opening night. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, Saturday, May 12th, um, and have a wonderful Mother's Day weekend. It's great to be open up a new show, and you have a performance on Mother's Day, so that's going to be really special. Right, it is. Yeah, matinee performance. Is it at 2 or 3? It's at 3. 3 o'clock, yeah. yeah. Same location. Same seven, location. 762 seven, Fulton, Fulton in the Burial Clay. Right. Right. Well, cool. Well, you take good care, and I'm right. um, looking forward to seeing you the week after this. <laughs> okay. All right. And thank you, thank you, thank you, Wanda. Oh, you're welcome. It's been really, really, really special talking to you this morning. Thank you. All right. Peace and Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. 
where we are speaking to uh, Ms. Eleanor Jacobs, who is uh, uh, performing the role of Lena Younger in the African American Shakespeare Company's production of Raisin in the Sun by Lorraine Hansberry. And we are going to close out with another one of these Sweet Honey in the Rock tunes. Let's see, which one haven't I played? Um, I think uh, I played them all, so I think uh, we're going to play um, Motherless Child. Oh, no, actually, I think I'll play Battered Earth. I'm not sure what that one sounds like, but it sounds pretty apropos because, you know, we have our Mother Earth to thank for uh, sustaining our lives. So let's listen to this one. And it's from, as I mentioned, uh, Sweet Honey and the Rock's 25th anniversary release. If the earth could fly away, could you see her flying straight through space and time, leaving all humankind behind? If she could fly away, if she could fly away so far away. The earth could run away Could you see her gathering All the trees and plants All the animals All the birds and fire Every creeping thing They have never been her foe Never harmed her blessed soul If she could run away If she could run away Then she'd be running for a life Oh, she'd be running for a life Running for her last and life Oh, she'd be running for a life Oh, she'd be running for a life Running for her last and life If the earth could up and walk away could you see her causing all, all the oceans and the seas, all the rivers and the streams, all the whales and fish, every reptile that exists, they have never been her foe, never harmed her blessed soul. If she could walk away, if she could walk away, so far.
Oh! 